Hey there, Anachronauts. As you may have noticed, this episode's coming out on the 25th. It's Christmas. Wow. Merry Christmas. And because it's Christmas, we are taking this week off. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. But until then, we are re-airing classic, I guess classic is from like a year ago, Christmas episode about Saturnalia and Gregor McGregor's Poirier scheme. Now, I hear what you're saying. Surely the second half of that isn't that Christmassy. And you're right. But the first half is also not that Christmassy, because it's about a different holiday. But it's still fun, and I think you're going to like it. This is one of my favorite episodes, and it's pretty wild. Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, uh, Joyous, whatever you celebrate, Joyous Yule, uh, Festive Festivus, and we will see you all in 2020, where we will still be looking back at history with our perfect and beautiful hindsight. All right, this is Max signing off. Enjoy the episode. Brought to you by Make Fun Network. Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Welcome to Anachronismo, the history podcast where we talk about history and make fun of it, make jokes, goof em ups, and various mouth fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do that. Yeah, we, that's, we that's certainly one way to describe it. That's right. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. And joining us this week is Fooey, because Noel couldn't make it. <laughs> so Fooey, say hi. Hi, how you doing? I'm David Fooey. Folks and might remember Fooey from the necklace scandal. Diamond necklace Diamond. affair. Mm -hmm. He told us all about why France turned against Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette. I, I was getting there. I would have edited it to make it sound like I got there. <laughs> sure you would. Okay. I didn't well. remember it all. I was going to say Madame Bovary and I was like, that's wrong. <laughs> Madame Bovary is- Previous generation. So close, but so wrong. That's <laughs> actually who the necklace was made for, I believe. So I was right in a way. Sort of. Technically correct. <laughs> the best kind of correct. So, what stories are we going to be hearing this week? I'll be telling you all about Saturnalia, Ooh. a very cool Roman festival that a lot of Christmas has borrowed. Oh, I yeah. can interject on this one. I, I figured it would be a good one. <laughs> Hang thine soft meats from the Yule tree. That's what I know. I didn't come across that in my research, but- <laughs> Gotta have the, I, gotta have the I soft hope, meats. I hope Pooey has a story about soft meats. For this. I wish that I'd brought a story about soft meats now, but no, I am bringing the story of Sir Gregor McGregor and the Poirier scheme, probably the single most audacious con artistry in history. With a weird name, Gregor McGregor. Gregor McGregor. Right. You heard me right. <laughs> the Gregor so nice they Gregor him Gregor. That sure was a sequence of words that you said, <laughs> and many more word sequences shall come as we all make mouth fun. Can you please never call it that again. <laughs> no promises. So, Jackie, take us away. Sure. Saturnalia, as I said, was an ancient Roman festival of Saturn in December. And it was basically a period of merrymaking and a predecessor of Christmas. It took place all over the Roman Empire. It wasn't um, site-specific, mm -hmm. which is kind of unique because a lot of places, it was about doing something in a certain place. And this was one that could be celebrated throughout the empire. Cool. So the origins of it are that it's supposed to honor the Roman god Saturn. He's a god of agriculture, almost at architecture, but that would be pretty cool too. <laughs> <laughs> he makes sure the corn grows into coliseums. 
Yeah, like the uh, the bread castles. Yep, like a sweet bread castle. Like a hedge maze, but slaves fight to the death in it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like a hedge maze. Uh, <laughs> now I'm glad I've never accepted your invites to those garden parties. I'm telling you, you would have an incredibly fun time. A gladiatorially fun time, you might say. It might be the most fun you'll ever have. It's a party to die for. Damn it. God, I was circling around that. <laughs> What's wrong with me tonight? You want to take it back and do it again? No, no, no. That's going to live forever. So basically, it was in honor of Saturn. And there were a couple different interpretations of what it was actually celebrating. That it was like a restoration of the Golden Age, which was like the old times where Saturn ruled. And it was a time of innocence and plenty. And mm-hmm. people didn't have to work or there weren't wasn't labor. It was just like a, a good time. So this was supposed to celebrate that. And it was also a time of liberation and... Immortality. 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 Okay, so here's what I'm hearing is that they tested this. They took out some guts from somebody and see if they grow back. I don't want to say that that never happened. (laughs) It's not a perennial feature, but given what I know about, let's say, hijinks that were gotten up to in Saturnalia, that does not check out. Okay, I'm going to fire off some elements. You tell me if I'm close. Okay. Goat horns. Uh, No. Soft meats. I don't know what that is. <laughs> candles. Yes. Lots of candles. Wreaths. Everything made of wax. Wreaths, yes. Yeah, uh, wicker man. Mm, terracotta figures. Little Wick, wicker fi- terracotta figures? <laughs> You're talking about like the burning effigies? Not so much. Okay, yeah, okay. No, no burning effigies. I'm, okay, I'm going to just do rapid fire. Okay. Cats wearing dog suits. No. No. Dogs as mayors. No. No. Dogs and cats coming together to feast over soft meats. Probably. There's a pig sacrifice. Okay, okay. There we go. I'm was... sure some of those meats are soft. Oh, yeah. The okay. soft meats, you know, the in- the inside meats. Please tell me what soft meats are. Is it really just the inside parts? <laughs> yeah, the organs, the soft meats. Like, the, not the outer muscles? The yeah, the inner... soft meats. Yeah, the meats that are soft because oh they're inside all the time. Yeah. Oh my God, organs are muscles. Organs, <laughs> organs are muscles. Organs are muscles, not, yes. Not, not all organs not all. are muscles. Name one. Kidneys. Kidneys are muscles. No, they're not. Name how. Because they don't contract or expand. They're just a series of vesicles through which fluids pass and are drained of various contaminants. They're made of nephrons. Well, I can see that you've called my bluff very efficiently. (laughs) (laughs) And they've fist bumped over their mutual victory over me. So the festival is basically a combination of a lot of harvest activities, harvest rituals. It has some basis in the Greek festival of Cronia, which was another sort of harvest sort of fest in the late midsummer. That was celebrating Cronus, the Titan? Yes. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) Shared a name, so probably. I would imagine. Well, either that or they all gave each other elaborate and beautiful uh, wristwatches. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Wrist sundials. Yeah. It only works if you're standing in the right spot. (laughs) It's all they're wearing in Milan. It's got quartz action because it's made of quartz. (laughs) Uh, Jackie, uh, whenever I go over and edit the show, I'm always like, Jackie didn't think this was funny at all because she didn't laugh. (laughs) But when I'm I'm doing the show, I'm like, oh, she's she's laughing. It's just totally silence. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I do. I do laugh silently or I'll say like very softly. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Or sometimes I'll just say that in my head and not say anything. (laughs) Which, you know, works perfect for a podcast. (laughs) Uh, You know, podcasts are all about the laughs you don't hear. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
So Saturnalia was celebrated on the first day with this pig sacrifice. It would be done outside the temple of Saturn in like a certain part of the square. They would sacrifice this pig and then they would have a big public banquet. It was just a lot of feasting, merrymaking. And there were other features of Saturnalia that were notable. A reversal of roles was one theme. It's a big part of it. I forget which day of the festival, mm -hmm. which last it started out being only one day and then it turned into being seven days. Everyone was having such a great time. They were like, make it longer. <laughs> it's them e-dials trying to get office. I propose that I'll make Saturnalia four days. Fuck that guy. I'll make it seven days. Okay. So here we've run into a limit of hashtag Max elucidated thoughtfully. What's an e-dial? E-dial is one of the offices of uh, the Roman magistracies. It is only available to you if you are a patrician. And its main purview is upkeep of public works and monuments and also handling things like festivals and games. So a big part of it is just, can you throw the best party so that in a couple of years when you run for Praetor, everyone will remember, oh man, that was a sick party. I got laid like crazy. I'm voting for that guy. So not a crocodile, but less cranky. No. That is both very informative and also opens up many more questions. Well done. <laughs> That's my style. <laughs> yeah. So it would be a time of freedom, basically. So, like slaves would be given the freedom for the duration of the festival to say what they wanted. Some of them were served by the household that they served. They would serve them dinner. It was just a big Reversal. It seems fun. A topsy-turvy day of misrule. Yeah. Just like the Lord of Misrule from the English Christmas traditions. Yep. Came yeah. out of this. Probably where it came from. Mm -hmm. Direct descendant, where uh, they would take the town beggar and dress him up as a lord and have the lord go beg in the town. And the beggar would make a feast and they would all dance and clap. Right. Yes. And that's why I pointed out that it went through the empire. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't site specific because mm -hmm. the thing spread all across the Roman Empire, including... Britain and Europe. So another big feature was just general merrymaking and the the easing of social restrictions. So people were gambling, which was frowned upon or illegal at the time. People were drinking to excess. People were eating to excess. People were just having a grand old time singing, dancing. Oh, it just sounds really fun. Yeah. And there's no work. The mm -hmm. courts are closed. The schools are closed. It's a, the law offices aren't working. You can't declare war. It's just a lot of. Not specifically, they were supposed to close the gates of the Temple of Mars so that you couldn't officially declare war. That is delightful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, just, it just sounds really fun. Like chaos that you definitely need to go shopping in the market before this starts. <laughs> but what if what you wanted for Saturnalia was a war? What about all the warlike children? What do they get underneath the Saturnalia soft meats? Well, they probably get to fight each other. That's true. Children love fighting each other. They love it. Bloodthirsty. Absolutely buck wild. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so gift giving was a big part of this also. But because one of the themes was like throwing off the social order and, you know, kind of mischief and mayhem, whatever, like your gifts, there were a range of gifts, but most gifts were very small or they were gag gifts as we would call them now because they didn't want to do extravagant gifts because that would show off your your place in society based mm -hmm. on like how much you could afford to give as gifts so they just gave a lot of like small gifts mm -hmm. like those um the terracotta figurines i was talking about or wax figurines there was a lot involving wax yeah when i was reading this it was oh. like give light candles give tapers give wax fruits to people chase each other around with beehives and throw them at each other for japes did not read that but 
Sure. Mm-hmm. Probably. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that honestly does sound like Rome. Clasp your lover's hand and plunge it into boiling wax together to create a memento that will also remind you of the most painful experience of your life. <laughs> There's ways to make that not hurt, right? And they do that there were probably more painful things that they'd been through. This is the ancient world, after all. Fine. Where getting better was an apocryphal option. You're right. You're right. Fine. You're right. I guess. Whatever. Jeez. I just wanted to imagine people screaming in love. So that's so much to ask. I mean, I'm not going to stop you from imagining it. I'm sure there were plenty of people screaming in love during this. Nice. Nice, 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 So there were a lot of candles, and there are a couple different theories or reasons of why there were all these candles. There was an old prophecy that the the bees the, would overthrow <laughs> the Roman Empire unless we stole their wax that they would use for war machines. It's true. Augustus had a nightmare about it one time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and if a if an emperor has a nightmare about it, you know it's real. <laughs> But the uh, the old inhabitants of Latinum, there was an old prophecy that they needed to send heads to Hades and Foda to Saturn. And they interpreted this to mean human sacrifice mm-hmm. at first. Well, I mean, heads is pretty... Pretty explicit. That's, that's pretty explicit. Pretty unambiguous. Yep. Pretty and explicit. Foda, you said? to Foda. Sa- but um, apparently Hercules came and advised them that they should use light instead because Phos, mm-hmm. F, F, I cannot think of this word for some reason p-h-o-s can either mean light or head depending on what accent you use on it so hercules convinced them that instead of giving heads and human sacrifices they should just light candles so hercules saved lives with a pun Mm -hmm. i told you they were useful jackie (laughs) sounds like a cop act to me (laughs) yeah it's 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 a little lamer but um you know keep it light nice 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 that's not going to show up on the thing. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, 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 thanks. There we go. Got to project. Oh, goodness. So another thing that they did is that they would unbind the feet of the statue of Saturn at the cult of Saturn. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, it had woolen bonds around the ankles, basically. So it was it was part of the theme of liberation was mm-hmm. that they would take these woolen bonds off the feet of the statue. So they also did elect mock kings, like you were talking about. They were called the Saturnalius Princeps. But this this didn't happen in the earlier writings about Saturnalia. So everything we know about Saturnalia is kind of like piecemeal put together. Because mm-hmm. no one sat down and wrote, this is what we do for Saturnalia and described the whole thing. There's no Linus Torvald with his little blanket being like, what's the true meaning of Saturnalia? Why do we celebrate by spreading the soft meats across our bows and... Having crazy amounts of food and drink and sex to excess and giving gifts and sending light to the underworld. Why do we do this? Well, I'll tell you. Spotlight. To keep Saturn from killing us. Unspotlight. (laughs) Not entirely inaccurate. It was very piecemeal. There were like, um, someone had written a play that took place parts of it during Saturnalia. So they Mm -hmm. took some of the stuff from that. Yeah. Plus writings from other people. I did not write it down. Sorry. So I did read something funny that Pliny uh, actually built a soundproof room because he was like, I'm sick of this. (laughs) I need to work. You people go have fun. I'm going to go work. (laughs) That that sounds about right. 
That sounds roughly in keeping with the character of the man. So the Mock King was usually like a lowlier household member that would be elevated to this position where they could give out decrees that people had to follow. And their whole job was just to make mischief and do silly things. It just sounds delightful, but I feel like people could very easily abuse this power. Oh, well, that's why they were elected. They could be elected or they could do the, uh, you know, like the, the Jesus baby cakes. You ever seen those? Oh, yeah, yeah. The bean cake. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yep, that yep, yep, yep. The so, person who finds the bean in the cake becomes the king of misrule. Mm-hmm. And then they can tell everyone else to eat a bunch of hard beans so they know what it's like to break a tooth. Yes. Anyway, that's why we eat a lot of honey at Saturnalia. And why we dine only on the soft meats. After your king for so many I'm declaring a moratorium on the mention of soft meats. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, Fooey, but I am the lord of misrule here. And I declare a moratorium on the soft meats, which is to say more in this atorium of soft meats. (laughs) He hates that I'm right and I have precedent. Uh, No, mostly I'm just upset about that pun. (laughs) The legal system supports me. Just like Hercules. Well, the point was to rule over chaos as opposed to the usual order of Roman life. Mm -hmm. So you're on brand. You got the point there. Yeah. But I feel like you also try and not try. You also, (laughs) I'm trying to figure out how to say this. (laughs) You can just let me have it, Jackie. This is a safe space to insult Max in. You're an agent of chaos, but also a lot of the structure of this show. And I'm not sure you can be both (laughs) according to the rules of Saturnalia. (laughs) Oh, well, you got me there. So we may need to depose you. So Saturnalia has had a big legacy. You know, lots of our Christmas celebrations have elements of how Saturnalia was celebrated. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying, the Feast of Fools Mm -hmm. and the... I'm forgetting the phrase that you said. The Lord of Misrule. The Lord of Misrule. Because it seems like there are just so many different iterations of the idea of holidays at this time celebrating the mismatch of how things usually are to how they are. Like there's um, the Feast of the Deacons, the Feast of Fools, like the Boy Bishops. It's all about just like celebrating the, not celebrating, but bringing the lowlier people into places of power like for a boy bishop, it was literally they would pick a choir boy and make him bishop for three weeks, and he would do everything but say mass. He would do the homily. Mm-hmm. He would, like, help with the books. He would do all the bishop things except for doing sacraments. Oh, did he get one of their little portable altars that they would kneel on? That I don't know, but he did get a little bishop costume. Oh, oh my God, that's so cute. Very cute. <laughs> did he get to keep it or did he have to burn it? I'm sure they just used it next year for the next boy. Sure they did. Boy Bishop has been revived. Really? It got really? revived in 1983, somewhere in Germany. So I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but I did see a modern looking picture of a kid in a... Did he have frosted tips and was he there with four other boys? Were they all dancing and singing in beautiful unison? No. So not the backstreet boy bishops? No. <laughs> It's like all around this time in the calendar of the end of December are all of these holidays where Mm. the roles are switched up. There is the the Feast of the Ass, which is literally where they celebrate the donkey that Jesus rode, that Mary rode in on, or Mm. somebody rode in on. Jesus was in her tummy at the time, so technically, there's a lot of like people riding on asses in the Bible. Nice. But they would deck out this donkey in like sequins and all kinds of things and they would put pick a girl from the village and like put her on the donkey and then they would bring the donkey into the church and celebrate its bravery and it's just all this weird stuff that's was co-opted by the christians that 
follows the same themes. It's just very cool how there are bits of the celebration that was done so long ago in our Christmas celebrations now. I like that. Yeah. We, and to this day, we still dress a donkey up in sequins and tell it it's special. Mm-hmm. I mean, no lie. There was a donkey in my church's Christmas pageant every year. Really? Yeah. Local huh. donkey or imported donkey? Local donkey. Famous local donkey. What was he famous for? Being the donkey in the Christmas pageant. Oh, Okay. That's like that's like a circle. Yeah, it's a tautological famous. <laughs> oh, also bigamy. Bigamy? Yes. The donkey was married to two other donkeys at the same time. Uh, we call it a polycule these days? Yes, we do call it that these days, but back then it was a lawless accepting. And it's still not legal to be married to two people. It is if you're a donkey. Well, okay. But this was a landmark case, and that's why that donkey became famous. <laughs> A donkey set the precedent. I, too, remember the state of Massachusetts versus Bigamous Donkey. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, everyone knows those three donkeys in the neighborhood who just kept it quiet. (laughs) Don't disturb them. They don't disturb you. Mm -hmm. So that's the end of Saturnalia. Mm -hmm. Just a super fun-seeming, topsy-turvy, screw-with-the-order kind of time. But everything went right back to regular order. Oh, you better believe it did. So it was like a a little bit of release. And then uh, if you were a slave, maybe stop talking your mind. I like to imagine that the the Saturnalia king, what were they called again? They just... Saturnalia's princeps. The Saturnalia princeps Mm -hmm. tried to extend their rule. Like one of them tried real hard to just make a coup (laughs) (laughs) while they had ultimate power. Be like, I declare Saturnalia is year round. Well, the title of Saturnalicus princeps might have been a satirical title to make fun of the rule by princeps. Oh. So it's already a little. I imagine that probably started in or after the Augustan era. Mm. It did. Yes, mm. the Augustan era, yes. yes. I only know that because... coined it... the term princeps. What yes. decree would you make if you were ground Saturnalia princeps? Donkeys are allowed to marry as many donkeys as they want. <laughs> uh, I would probably go hard on a, a candy tithe. You know, 90 for me, 10 for you. Oh, yes, obviously, obviously. <laughs> yeah, all the candy you can swallow. Yep. I would decree that... Anytime anyone wished to dine upon bread or any bread-based food, rather than using bread as the base and other things atop the bread, uh, they would instead have to substitute soft meats for bread (laughs) and have that be the basis of every meal. This would also go for rice and other staple foods. It's only a week. We'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) And thus, I would invent the sausage. Pretty sure they already had sausages at that point. Well, then my work here is done. (laughs) You just take a really big sausage, cut it in half, and then layer your sandwich innards between the pieces of sausage. (laughs) All right, that actually sounds kind of sick, though. Yeah, that's... uh, It's like the chicken The KFC double down. Yeah, double down. (laughs) The KFC soft meat, yes. I ate one. I ate a double down. How was it? It was indulgent and greasy. Ooh. (laughs) As you would expect. Mmm. God wasn't watching that day. <laughs> but if you could get a present made of wax, what would you want? Ooh, a wax present. <laughs> Seems like fruit was the go-to at the time. Fruit-shaped wax. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Scale model donkey kissing two other donkeys. It's like seasonal decor you put in the crash around Saturnalia. <laughs> sure, if, if that's what you want to use it for. I'm going to go with um wax soft meats. Mm, yeah, it's always <laughs> a good choice. Don't get them confused with regular soft meats. And don't eat them. They're hard. I'm trying to go 180 from wax fruits. And what's the furthest thing you can get from a fruit? Soft meat. There we go. There we go. 
All right. Um, just because I am the person that I am, I do need to interject real quick that uh, I would argue the most direct uh, Roman antecedent to the celebration of Christmas is actually the Feast of the Unconquered Sun. The Unconquered Sun was an early monotheistic religion that Constantine almost went with when he monotheized Rome. Hmm. It was also the chosen religion of the Emperor Aurelian, who is one of my favorites. Maybe I'll talk about him sometime. It's too much to get into right now. But it was... Honestly, closer to the way you are quote-unquote supposed to celebrate Christmas, it's a feast and a time of reflection, there's a lot of fire, and it's about the death and rebirth of the sun. And most specifically, it, it, it does occur on December 25th. It seems to have been the one that they just directly yoinked and said, okay, this is Christmas now. It's also got a super badass name. Yeah. The Cult of the Unconquered Sun does not lack for sounding badass. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Ah, happy Unconquered Sun, Miss <laughs> Lads. I've brought you this orb of flame for your gift. Have fun tossing it about the yard and capering and dancing and blowing on your hands. For New Year's, I'll bring you burn ointment. Mm, Yo, Unconquered Sun. <laughs> that's uh, me mispronouncing however I-O is pronounced. Ah. <laughs> That was the chant of Saturnalia. You uh, would just yell it out. Eo. Eo. Saturnalia. Yo there, Saturnalia. Look, Clarence. It's Saturnalia, <laughs> so I never left. Yo, look at them. Yo, they're all eating soft meats and capering oh, about. Clarence, I want the sun to live again. <laughs> <laughs> I want the sun to live again, and I want people to have public sex again, Clarence. I want that so bad. Don't ask me about it. It's my personal business, Clarence. They say every time someone has public sex, an angel gets his cock ring. So all the sources that I read <laughs> did not mention public Fugie. sex at all. Um, <laughs> oh, Wikipedia I'm sorry. did not mention <clears throat> it. Encyclopedia Britannica did not mention it. I'm sorry. I thought that you mentioned public sex. The um, And as we the, all know, the, the Encyclopedia Britannica is men- known for its proclamation oh, of public you sex. You said dancing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just dancing. Wa- I'm sorry. I just watched Footloose the other day and uh, all the wires up there are crossed right now. <laughs> I mean, I don't doubt that it was part of it. Yeah, that's why I got thrown out of that discotheque. Is that why? I thought it was because of your extraordinarily gaudy disco suit. I will defend that suit till my death. Well, I know you will. That that's the problem. Really. Yeah, I'd love to wear that, actually. Because you don't wear your regular toga. You wear something <clears throat> called a synthesis. A synthesis? <laughs> yep. What is this? It's this? colorful clothes that would be too gaudy for daytime wear. Mwah, mamma mia. Love it. Yep. And you all wear hats. <gasps> hats. hats. All the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I read all this stuff about Saturnalia, and I finally got to the end of an article, and it said, maybe women participated. (laughs) I was like, why did this whole thing not mention men doing this? It was just like, yeah, this is what people did. This is what people did. And then maybe women did it too. (laughs) Maybe. We don't know. We don't know. We can only imagine women publicly dancing and eating of food and wearing gaudy outfits. I imagine they As took we place- all know, women didn't gain the right to eat food until 1927. That's why there were so few women in the past. <laughs> <laughs> They're never mentioned. You ever <laughs> that? The only explanation is that they didn't exist. I assume they took part in the stuff that happened in the household, but like the public banquet, I think, is more what they were referring to. They weren't sure if. Oh, I see. If freeborn women participated, but I was like, "Why is this buried all the way at the bottom?" 
Yeah, that really feel like that changes my mental picture of what this whole thing was. Yeah, let's take a quick break and then return with Bowie's story. Hi, welcome to the break. I know it sounds completely indistinguishable from the rest of the podcast, but I assure you, this is the break. So we got just a couple of things to go through real quick. Uh, so we're part of the Make Fun Network. That's a network of podcasts, including Top 5 of Death, where the hosts bring in their top five lists of what have you, uh, and then die. Uh, I'm going to be guesting on that uh, in the near future. I'm very excited. And uh, This Rules, This Sucks, which is a review podcast without nuance, which Jackie will be guesting on in the near future. <laughs> I love the idea of a review podcast without nuance. Well, then you should listen to This Rules, This Sucks. Also, if you are enjoying our show, why not leave us a, a, a review? Preferably five stars, because <laughs> why ask for one that's not? Uh, on iTunes or Podbean or Stitcher, whatever your uh, podcatcher of choice is, it really helps us find new people. Or just tell a friend or yell out your window uh, at someone on the street to listen to our show. We'll We'll take whatever we can get, really. If you want to contact us, tell us about your favorite history thing. Tell us about a cool dog you saw. Tell us about a cool historical dog that you want to tell us about. Get in contact with us to, on Twitter at, at Anak Podcast. That's at A-N-A-C Podcast. Or you can email us at itsanachronismo at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and uh, active in the Make Fun Community Facebook page. Fui, do you want to plug anything before we get back to the show? Uh, no, I got nothing. I'm not on any other podcasts or anything. I'm not cool enough. Fair enough. Well, let's get back into it. And we're ending our break as this giant fist comes down from the heavens and lifts us out of it. Whoa! That was terrifying. Yeah, that was a pretty good break. Ah, that fist. Gotta stop using the fist for transport. So, Fooey, tell us about your story. <laughs> okay, so my story is about Gregor McGregor and the Poyer Scheme. So Gregor McGregor is a Scotsman from, as you might expect, Clan McGregor, and his branch was Roman Catholic, and as such, they faced some significant, I'm going to be polite and just call it discrimination over the years, including the point where they uh, supported the Jacobite rebellions against King William and Queen Mary after the Glorious Revolution. So he had kind of some catching up to do in society as a family. So he joins the British Army at the age of 16, which is the youngest you could. His parents bought him a commission as an ensign, and he served with the 57th of foot which is not the kind of detail I would normally note, except, and this is going to set the tenor for a lot of his career. Early on, after the Napoleonic Wars break out, he serves with the 57th of foot, and they get shuttled around a bunch of sleepy little assignments, usually guarding coastline against a French invasion that never really came, because Napoleon was smarter than that. But eventually, they get sent to the Peninsular War, when everybody was fighting on the Iberian Peninsula, and in, I believe, 1804, or 1806, he resigns his commission. At that point, he was a captain over creative differences with his senior officers. And then a year after that, the I want 57th. Us to walk in a triangle. What was that? Oh, I'm just joking that he wanted them to march in a triangle formation and they wanted a rectangle. Really? Hey. Creative differences. Creative differences. Yeah. You, you just. They weren't ready for it. Visionaries are never appreciated in their own time. Yeah. <laughs> But about a year after he resigned his commission, the 57th of Foot fought a heroic action and earned the nickname the Diehards. And so for the rest of his life, he would never shut up about the fact that he served with the Diehards and was always very careful not to mention that, no, I wasn't at that battle. <laughs> yeah, that would have been some real Greg on his face. 
Sorry, that's been in my brain since you said his name, and I had to get it out there, or else those all the only joke I'd ever be able to make. Are you good? We'll see. Okay, so his first marriage was to uh, Maria Bowater, uh, who was the scion of a famous naval family. So he had a bunch of connections there that he used, but then she died rather young. And as a result, all of his in-laws, who never really liked him because he married way above his station, suddenly turned a, a very cold shoulder and stopped returning his proverbial calls. And at the same time, the Latin American wars of independence are breaking out on the other side of the Atlantic. So he decides to go over there and try his luck, where he is commissioned as a major and fights a couple of interesting battles, including his one, like, real claim to military glory, when after Simon Bolivar lost a battle, his unit of, like, 600 men was cut off, and so he had to launch this lightning march across 300 miles of Venezuelan jungle, fighting a bunch of running battles until he could get back to Caracas. Oh, that sounds terrible. So, after that, he remarries a woman named, uh, I'm going to hope that I pronounce this right, because it's one of them long Spanish names, Josefa Antonia Andrea Aristigueta Ilovera, who was Simone Bolivar's cousin, which again put him into some rarefied circles that he did not belong in. But whatever else you can say about Gregor McGregor, he was a talker. So he then goes on to get promoted again to a colonel and leads a couple of battles, which go pretty badly. And then he goes on a recruiting mission up to America, where he recruits a bunch of people and then decides that he's going to go liberate Florida from the Spanish. Then he lands on the island of Amelia, declares the Republic of the Floridas, and then proceeds to do basically nothing until other people come to kick them off the island, at which point he gets on a boat. And says, all right, guys, I'll be right back with reinforcements and leaves. Ooh. Again, so, this is going to become a theme with Gregor McGregor. So I'm confused. Who is he fighting on behalf of? Uh, the Latin American republics that are being born right now. Mostly Venezuela, Gran Colombia, uh, New Granada. Okay. It's this whole complicated patchwork of little principalities and republics that are springing up mm -hmm. as the South Americans try to throw off the Spanish yoke. And it is way too complicated for me to go into right now. Yep, that's fine. It's just like, <laughs> wow, is he still fighting for the yeah. Scottish? <laughs> What's happening? So he does all of this and he has this military career that is largely defined by coming up with grand ambitious schemes, going in there, winning initially, doing nothing, and then leaving as soon as things get hot until... Everybody else just kind of dies. And pretty soon people catch on to this and stop giving him jobs. So he starts roaming around. And then we get to the point that will define his life. Everything else has just been character witness thus far. <laughs> so there's a stretch of the Honduran coast that is called the Mosquito Coast. And as you can imagine from the name, it is a bunch of dense swamp and jungle haunted by mosquitoes and malaria. And, and ghosts. Ghost mosquitoes. Ghosts as well. And there's a bunch of little tribes there that the British would usually come in and just find whoever was the strongest tribal leader and be like, okay, you're king of the mosquito coast. If any of the Spaniards try and come settle here, let us know and we'll defend your totally real sovereignty that we completely respect. Also, you got to wear this hat. The current king in 1820, when this is happening, is a guy called George Frederick Augustus. And so Gregor McGregor happens upon this guy, and being the man that he is, he talks his way into their circles, and they have a party. And on April 29th, he gets George Frederick Augustus drunk and has him sign a claim giving Gregor McGregor 8 million acres of the Mosquito Coast. 
So He's with, the Mosquito King now. <laughs> with this in hand, he returns home to London and begins the most ambitious con scheme that I have ever heard of. How many times did he sell it? Timeshares. <laughs> You'll see. Oh, yeah. Before we start, we've got to wildly speculate on this. All right. So, Jackie, what kind of money-making scheme do you think he used for the Mosquito Coast? My guess? Mosquito milk. Oh, well, I, I was thinking timeshares. He would sell it as a beautiful tropical paradise mm. to go on a nice vacation yeah. for a year or two. With all the mosquito milk you can drink. Mm-hmm. All the mosquito milk, all the marsh juice, mm-hmm. everything you can want. Delicious marsh juice. <laughs> yep, that's right. You use the Spanish word and it sounds better. And then, <laughs> oh, and of course, he's got a monopoly on calamine lotion mm-hmm. for the entire uh, mosquito coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he gets you coming, he gets you going. Yep. Yep, and you have to take a special boat that he procures for you. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking it's an all-inclusive resort that's not that great, and he overbooks the timeshares. Also, he sells a lot of blood transfusions. A necessary insurance policy that you also have to buy. See, I don't know much about the Mosquito Coast, but I know it's called the Mosquito Coast, so I imagine mosquitoes. <laughs> so, Jackie, you're pretty close. Yes. But you're not thinking quite ambitiously enough. Oh, my God. Harvest See, the marsh juice. <laughs> a lot of people have come up with different con schemes over the years and some of them have made more money but nobody yet that i know of has invented a country out of whole cloth and then sold it <laughs> so what he does is he comes home to london with this writ granting him eight million acres of honduran land and declares that he is the kazik or prince of a place called poya poye rather edit out the poya bit got it he's not going to Ah. <laughs> <clears throat> uh. We put so many air horns of this, in there. <laughs> <laughs> of this country called Poye. And he makes up just a bucket of bullshit. He comes up with this whole story about how it's this thriving Britain-aligned colony when the capital is called St. Joseph and has 20,000 people and a theater and an opera house and a cathedral. <laughs> and... He invents an entire system of government with a tricameral parliament and an entire cabinet of ministers and designs individual uniforms for the regiments of the Poyasian army, which totally exists. And he gets the government via the Bank of England to underwrite an 800,000 pound bond against which he can borrow from this country and then starts selling shares to people. He mostly goes to the Scots because he thinks, I'm a Scot, they're Scots. I can sell them on this as a way to escape English domination and come to this great country that I totally own. <laughs> that it's so Scot-friendly. Ah, it's so Scot-friendly with a climate that is completely good for the British constitution <laughs> and oh. not at all terrible. So he starts selling them on this and he's selling plots of land for cheap for like two, three pounds and change per acre, which is about the wage of a working man. So he starts selling people and people give him- Yeah, the working man is paid by the acre. People give him like everything that they have because they think they're going to buy this huge tract of land and set up a great farm where you can get three maize harvests a year or grow tobacco or you can just spit on the ground and cotton will grow up. Yeah, that's where cotton comes from. Can confirm. (laughs) That's why they call it cotton mouth. Yep. <clears throat> oh, and why uh, when you vape and you exhale, it's, you say cotton, uh, because wherever that vaporing lands, a little cotton plant will grow. Oh. Yeah. So he gets together the first load of colonists. He gets about 500 people packed on a boat, gives them some coordinates and tells them, all right, good luck. I'll be with you soon. 
and then turns around and keeps selling more land to people. I am so upset. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not anywhere near done, Jackie. These, do these people even know how to get there? He gave them coordinates. He told them where they're supposed to be. And then when they landed there, they were expecting to land in the fabulous port of St. Joseph. And instead, they found a bunch of rocks and jungle. Did they just assume they messed up somewhere? They assumed they messed up. Everybody landed. They started making rudimentary camps. Uh, this guy, Hall, who was in charge of the emigre expedition, started sailing around hoping to find St. Joseph. Doesn't find St. Joseph and keeps bouncing back and forth. This is so cruel. Yeah. So eventually... Jackie's uh, angry. I'm, I'm very angry <laughs> about this. Hold on to that. You're going to need that anger in a little while. So eventually, King George Frederick could... Uh, Augustus, you remember him, the actual guy who actually is supposedly running this coast. He finds them and says, um, Poirier doesn't exist. You're on my land. I would like you to leave. And this is about the time that the rain season is setting in. And guess who comes out on the Mosquito Coast in the rainy season? Bears. Mosquitoes. Jackie is, as usual, more correct than Max. <laughs> more correct? Am I still not right? <laughs> no, you are. But like, okay. there may have been bears. I can't prove that there weren't. Mm. Okay. Tigers. Lions. So, this is when the tropical diseases start to set in. And then the second boatload of colonists arrives. And eventually they just all pack up and they go to Belize, the capital of British Honduras. And at this point, like, many of them are sick. About half of them die. And the other half start to disperse themselves around the area and about 50 return to London. So they head back to London. Meanwhile, Gregor McGregor has been the talk of the town. He's claiming a knighthood from the Portuguese for some reason. And... <laughs> Just claiming one. Yeah, I got a knighthood. It's in here. Yeah, you can it, call me sir. I got, I got it from this Portuguese guy. You wouldn't know him. He goes to another school. He uh, he served me at a restaurant and called me sir. I'm taking it and I'm running with it. <laughs> so things are starting to come apart. News is beginning to filter back, and more and more the bankers are realizing that this Poyer thing is not turning a profit. So he loudly announces that his wife, Yosefa, his beloved wife, the cousin of the celebrated Simone Bolivar, is feeling ill, so he's going to take her to Italy to recuperate. Actually, he goes to Paris, and do you know what he does in Paris? Fucks. Puts her in a gutter and leaves her there. Nope. Buys, he actually seems a, to have liked Yosefa a lot. Oh, buys okay. a big old loaf of bread. He starts the scheme again. He starts the scheme again, but this time he gets a little smarter and he starts selling huge parcels of land to various French companies for them to sell to the French settlers to insulate himself, okay. which apparently he didn't even need to do because this is the part that messes me up the most is, you know, those 50 people who came back about half of them are defending McGregor. About half of them are saying that it's everybody else's fault, that he was misled, that everything that's wrong was because of that hall guy or because of this guy or because of that guy or just because the weather was bad. They're defending him to the death after he killed their friends and family with his reckless disregard for human life. Ugh. And he starts doing it again. Yeah, that sounds like human psychology. <laughs> and... This time, thank God the French are way smarter about this than the British. Because somebody in the French foreign office notices, all right, we got like 70 people here who applied to passports to go to Poyer. Has anybody heard of Poyer? No? Let's put a kibosh on this real quick. And so he flees into the countryside. Two of his associates get arrested, but his secretary stole most of the incriminating evidence and ran for Holland. So eventually he gets arrested and is tried and is acquitted due to lack of evidence. They extradite the secretary try him again, and he still gets acquitted. Again, if there's one thing you can say for Gregor McGregor, he is a hell of a talker. Yeah. 
and doesn't really get a lot of Greg on his face. And do you know what he does after getting acquitted in France? Gets Greg on his face. He goes back to London and starts the scheme for a third time. Oh my God. Did he at least change the name? No, he did not. It's like, oh, check out Boyer. <laughs> he did not change it at all. Mm. He gets a little less ambitious about it. He's asking for less money. He's making fewer promises. He's offering larger chunks of land and asking for like smaller bonds to underwrite the expenses. But it's the same essential scheme. Now, my favorite part of this is this time he doesn't really turn any profit. Can you guess why? Uh, he's up to his ears in debt for uh, killing people. Legal fees. No, no, no. That would be logical, but nothing about this story adheres to the bounds oh, of logic. he started a croissant shop, and oh my God, butter is so expensive. <laughs> oh, he's got to pay his lawyers, and they're all bloodsuckers because they're all mosquitoes. It's because everybody <laughs> else cottoned on and was selling their own land in Poyer, including... <laughs> George Frederick Augustus's brother and successor starts doing the Poyer scheme from the Mosquito Coast. Oh, my God. So where did they go? Did they go to England? Did a bunch of confused colonists <laughs> show up in England and be like, this looks okay? Well, it's him, like, selling hypothetical timber rights to people when the land that he's selling on Doesn't has have shit trees. timber. Uh. Yeah. It has trees. It's not good for building anything. Mm. So, after this... Things kind of peter out for McGregor. In 1837, he stops selling this game. He sells the last couple bonds, takes the money. During this time, Yosefa gets sick and dies, so he takes his kids, and he decides to pull stakes and go back to Venezuela. Now, at this point, all of the Bolivarian brouhaha has kind of settled, and they've established the Republic of Venezuela. And if anybody remembers Gregor McGregor, they remember him from that lightning march through the jungle and or the fact that, oh, I had dinner with that guy once. He's funny and great. I like him. So he comes back and he says, OK, I'm back. It's me, Gregor McGregor, famous defender of South American liberty. Uh, I would like citizenship and reinstatement to my old rank and 25 years of back pay, please. And thank you. <laughs> and believe it or not, he gets it. 25 years of back pay? The president, President Saez, remembers him and it says, yes, I remember this guy. And so he expedites the paperwork. He gets citizenship, an appointment as a divisional general in the Venezuelan army. Not the entirety of his back pay, but some of his back pay. And a pension equal to one third of his pay as a general. This allows him to settle down in Caracas and live comfortably as a member of Caracas High Society for the next seven years. Can you guess what happens after those seven years? Here's what I'm really hoping is somebody finds him, drags him out of his house, and just beats him to death. I think he needs to throw a giant party and convinces people to put a deposit down on a catering hall. Mm. And then he sells tickets to the party. Mm. <laughs> but he never hired a catering hall. He, <laughs> he, he uh, opens a catering company to sell only the finest and sweetest of soft meats. Mm -hmm. But... He uh, just invents a whole bunch of animals and says that their meats are simply the softest and but gets people to invest in these soft-meated animals, uh, such as the squish cow and mm -hmm. the uh, anti-bear, and sends out expeditions to hunt them. And they claim, oh, 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 all these animals, oh, they're so delicious. We've got these meats, but oh, they've spoiled. And he gets people to invest more into techniques for preserving the soft meat so that they can, of course, uh, bring them back and then sends those people off to go get their own soft meats. He sends, sells them hunting rights to the softest of meats. Soft meats. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Those are 
more outlandish and satisfying than what actually happened. On December 4th, 1845, Gregor McGregor died peacefully in his bed. A wealthy and well-respected member of the Caracas Gentry. Oh, you set us up to be wrong. He was buried with full military honors in the Cathedral of Caracas in a ceremony attended by the president of Venezuela. Boo. He killed so many people. Gregor McGregor never admitted to or atoned for any of his crimes. To this day, the section of Honduran coast that is supposed to have contained the colony of Poye remains undeveloped. Matt. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's some real Greg on my face. Just Please say- tell me you're not going to use all three takes of Greg on your face. No, it only works. The third one only works as funny with the first two. And that is the story of Gregor McGregor and the Poye scheme. That's pretty great. That was good. What chutzpah. Yeah. You gotta admit, dude had balls. Yeah. Like, obviously, hugely shitty person. Yeah. But you can't help but respect him. Jackie, can you help but respect him? Yes. Okay. Okay. I can admire the scheme, but trying to kill people. Yeah. <laughs> Victimless crimes. Or, you know, go after the people who aren't putting their hopes and dreams and life fortunes in your yep. hand. Between the Poyer scheme and his various military misadventures, he is directly responsible for about five or 600 deaths. That's crazy. I feel like he could have... I don't know if people would have been into it, but, you know, just... You know how you can pay to become a lord in Scotland now? Yep. Yep. Why don't you do something like that? Like, oh, Because he didn't own any land in Scotland. <laughs> well, no, but in Poyer. <laughs> yeah. Just have them buy it without, like, making them go. Just be like, want to be able to say that you own some stuff? He did. One of his uh, chief co-conspirators, who actually was the, quote-unquote, head of the Poyer embassy to England, was created as, I believe, a viscount under the uh, Poyerian constitution. Well, that's how that's pronounced. I've only seen that word written down. Viscount. I've always, I've always thought there was that. Uh, wow. Oh yes, like never mind. <laughs> it's like vis-a-vis. Nope. No. Like vice versa. Yeah, or like a get a star named after you. Yeah, because those are not registered. That is a scam. Yeah, don't buy star registries. No one's tracks that. That is not official. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's yeah, fine. Just a romantic gesture, I guess. Yeah. So we've used on anachronismo so many times. What would your con be? So I can't use that as our hypothetical here. Here's what my hypothetical is. How would you have liked for karma to have caught up with Gregor McGregor in a way that's not just, oh, he gets uh, beaten to death by hordes of people? Let's make it interesting. I want him to get tricked into an award ceremony that doesn't exist. <laughs> like like they had that opera house that didn't exist. I want something like that. Maybe he has to go back through the uh, the lightning march. He has to do the yeah. lightning march backwards and just hopefully someone makes him remember everyone who died along the way instead of, <laughs> you know, glory. <laughs> yeah, we send him on a long coach trip through the lightning march and at every way station there's a little play where uh, people dress up as all the people he conned and spook him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like a haunted tour. Like a haunted hayride, mm-hmm. but very specific. And he thinks there's an award at the end, but yeah, there is but there's no award. <laughs> the end, there's just a. Uh, uh, he gets some, malaria. He gets malaria. Yep. <laughs> I would have someone say that Poyer declared war on Caraca. And have him, <laughs> That's perfect. as an official representative of Poyer, have to then, of course, become a prisoner of war or 
or uh, and uh, be held hostage against when the president of this non-existent country uh, offered an armistice. Uh, and if, of course, since there is no president of Poyer or par- prime minister well, or whatever he said, there he, is. There's the Kazik who is Gregor McGregor. Yes. But <laughs> the Kazik is held against his people's capitulation in this war. And, of course, Poye gets invaded, but it's a guerrilla war. You can't find the residents of Poye. Oh, my God. This is – I vote for your, yours. That's so he, great. So he's just clapped in irons in Caraca this whole time being fed gruel and mush and, and getting beat up pretty bad by the other prisoners. <laughs> Having everyone say there's Greg on his face all the time. <laughs> then flick his nose when he looks. He, How do you look at your own at face? face? Mirror. <laughs> the mirror in this dungeon? <laughs> it's probably a pretty nice dungeon. He is, of course, the Karaka of Poyer. Kazik. What'd I say? Karaka. Yeah, he's the Kazik of you Poyer. You mispronounced the name of the city that he lived in and then attributed that as his official government title. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like me. Ah. <laughs> uh. That's good. Uh, that's Greg on my face. <laughs> he threw something at me. Phil, <laughs> uh, do you have one? I guess have somebody sell him shares in a country that doesn't exist in like China or something. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then he goes all the way over there and finds out that the country doesn't exist, but it is heavily populated by people who don't like him or speak his language. And he sells them land. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a just a big Ouroboros of con artistry in invented countries. That's very good. <laughs> Let's do a very quick one if they met. <clears throat> okay. What if they met? What if these two people met? It's not people this time. It's a man and a celebration. What if this man went to this place and had these things done? What if he celebrated this way? We're gonna ask this question. The question isn't in this song, but it's heavily hinted at. It's heavily hinted at. Because we are asking, oh, what if they met? But there's just one purse. One person. One specific person. There's plenty of people who celebrated but no specific names what if they met (laughs) (laughs) Um. I feel like every day is topsy-turvy day for this guy hold on we need to ask the question the song explicitly said the question wasn't included in the song what if Gregor McGregor was made to celebrate Saturnalia honestly his life sounds an awful lot like Saturnalia to begin with (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) there are very few rules in the world of Gregor McGregor and they mostly revolve around sailing away while other people die for your cockamamie schemes. So what I'm hearing is they would have a lot of order imposed upon him. He yeah, would have to so. eat, shave, and poop at certain times and tell only the truth. Or perhaps he could be the bridge to Christmas. Yeah. Because he's Catholic, right? Yeah. I yep. assume he's going, gone back in time to celebrate Saturday. He would, he would sell them a celebration that sounds awfully familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if you just go over that hill, they practice this entirely new celebration. But, like, I'm going to need money in order to guide you over there. (laughs) Uh, He gets covered in wax. (laughs) Uh. Do you think the wax is hard or soft? Um, Well, it depends on if it's made of meat. Soft is the softest of meats. I don't know. I believe it's hard wax around soft meat. That's what's on the inside of every wax fruit. It's a soft meat. Y'all ever bitten into an apple and it tasted just like pig kidney? Yep. (laughs) A wax fruit, fun fact, was invented to preserve soft meats, 
after a while, what originally started off as wax covering a pig heart uh, morphed into what we know as today as the wax apple. And that's why today New York is called the Big Apple, because it's just wax covering a pig heart. Yeah, the entire city of New York, one giant pig heart covered in wax. Well, it's a metaphor, Fooey. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the buildings get so tall. You can just Drip stick the them wax. down into the wax. And they stay this up. is what the Illuminati doesn't want you to know. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the show. Again, I'm Max. I'm Jackie. And I'm Fooey. And this has been Anachronismo. We hope to see you here next time on our new podcast, which you're going to have to send us $5 to listen to, and it exists on another server that we swear exists. Mm-hmm. Better just PayPal ahead of time just to avoid any kind of confusion or delays. Mm-hmm. Just do that. Just Venmo us a JPEG of a $5 bill. Brought to you by Make Fun Network. <laughs>